An old book. A book about witchcraft. You're listening to the Whitewood Podcast, a show about mystery schools, the occult, and witchcraft. Would you like to have a look around? Why have you come to Whitewood? Well, because I'm interested in witchcraft. I'm your host, Nate. Come with us as we delve into the history, techniques, and backstories of these traditions and the people who practice them. Welcome back to the Whitewood Podcast. My name is Nate Driscoll, and this week we are going to take a delve into a topic that I find incredibly surface level as far as um, how society views it. It's one of the topics where if you bring it up at a, a Christian dinner party, you will not necessarily get, like if you're just in the suburbs at a barbecue or something like that, you're not going to necessarily get dirty looks. Uh, you can bring this topic up. You could probably discuss some of the nuance before you start to get the dirty looks. Now, they'll, they'll probably still view you as kind of a kook. Um, but uh, socially, this particular topic is a lot more accepted. Uh, so the topic we're going to talk about this week is the Zodiac. The Zodiac is heavily related towards astrology, horoscopes, uh, those types of things. And what I find is that for whatever reason, uh, they there is a lot more social acceptance around astrology than there is any of the other occult topics that we usually talk about. So like, for example, um, the weekly horoscopes that exist in the newspaper uh, are based around astrology. They're very loosely based because, um, unfortunately... The study of astrology as the Western culture um, analyzes it is very, very dumbed down. Uh, we often, I bet you there's probably not someone listening to this podcast, or if there is, there's not a lot of people listening to this podcast, that are unaware of their star sign, their sun sign. They, they are probably aware, oh, I'm a Pisces, or I'm a Taurus. They might not know what that means. They might not know what any of the other signs are, probably not even be able to list them all off. They most definitely, most people will not be able to break down like someone says, oh, I'm a, I'm a Taurus. Oh, I know what time of year you were born. But, you know, there are people who are excited about that kind of stuff and, and will know those dates and times and those types of things. Um, it's, it's commonly socially accepted to know a little bit about astrology and the Zodiac. But if you went to those same barbecues, those same dinner parties within just the uh, Christian suburban culture, um, as we generally see it. And you said the same things about being excited about tarot. They often react a little bit more, I don't know, harshly. Like, for example, uh, my family is very much part of that culture. And we had some tarot card paintings that were made full-size, large paintings on the wall and had put them up in our living room and one day my mother came over her being a member of that culture and um she said had made kind of a comment of like oh yeah those those are interesting like what are they like philosophy symbols or something like that um i for some reason she had kind of picked up on the tone of them i thought was very interesting because they are kind of philosophical um but 
at the end of it, I, you know, I, I kind of let her know, oh, no, those are those are tarot cards. And she, immediately her demeanor changed. She was, like, horrified that there would be tarot in the house, that, you know, we were letting demons into our life and things like that, um, which is uh, hilarious because I, I do definitely own and have read the Goetia. So I, I definitely don't think that the tarot cards are what's going to cause demonic forces in our lives. <laughs> Um, but this is coming from a, a, an individual who, uh, is not very educated on the occult and also actively uses a pendulum in their life, um, actively knows their star sign. So if I went up to her and I said, Hey, you know, like what, what is your, your horoscope is usually the phrasing that I get. Uh, they will know. Now I don't want to go too in depth about astrology itself um but i did want to take that opportunity to kind of flesh out why why i think it's interesting that the mass culture is very aware of the one and very terrified of the other i think that's very strange it's very interesting to me and this episode is not necessarily going to focus on astrology itself I think that we have to do an astrology episode. It's a very complex topic. It'll probably turn into multiple episodes. And those episodes are probably going to be a little difficult to listen to because they will have to... There's a lot of information in astrology that has to do with the movement of objects in relation to other objects. And so as we're explaining it, we will have to kind of paint a very, very visual picture. And so if you're an auditorial learner, if you're uh, more of a kinesthetic learner, and you're not a very visual-oriented uh, learner, if you're not really good at like hearing someone speak and then visualizing what they're talking about, or if I fail on my part as the host to be able to paint that picture properly, um, it's going to be a really complicated topic to talk about because a lot of times we'll be talking about like specific numbers of angles and those types of things. And so I expect that has to happen there has to be an astrology episode because we've brought it up already a couple of times but more than that i think that there is something very real about this potential to talk about that topic because we keep coming back to it we keep you know as we're describing one thing we keep coming back to it but this episode is not that episode this is not the astrology episode this is i want to make a distinction here this episode is the zodiac episode we're going to be talking about the actual star signs themselves as they are symbols to be used. So that's kind of a, a, a weird stretch if you've never heard about these types of things uh, from this perspective. But just like we might use like, I don't know, like fire as an example of an energy type that we're working with some type of abstract energy, whether that's an invoking, a banishing, a meditation, a working, no matter how we're using that symbol, or maybe it's just one symbol in a plethora of symbols that we're using, maybe we're doing something like, you know, some long form uh, writing or play or some long form ritual that might have more than one element at a time being uh, adored, any of those kinds of things. Uh, similar to how you can do that with the those symbols, the, the elements, uh, as well as, you know, we talked about the planets, as well as the planets, or alchemy, you know, we talked about alchemy. The same thing is true for the zodiac. And so this episode is much more about diving into the symbols themselves that make up the zodiac, 
And then eventually, we plan on doing some kind of an episode that talks more about star signs, the movements of planets, the different types of predictions that can be made based on, you know, which planet is in which house, those types of things, right? Uh, it's going to take some time before we get there. But uh, this episode, I think, is is a stepping stone towards it, but is standing as its own episode. So in order to kind of understand the Zodiac at all, I feel like first we have to distinguish what they are. So when we're talking about the Zodiac, we're talking about the actual symbols themselves of Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricorn, uh, or Capricornus, uh, Aquarius, and, and Pisces. Now, uh, one of those you're probably uh, especially familiar with because it's probably yours. And uh, maybe you have a couple of family members or you've just heard the other ones as buzz phrases. Or maybe you've already studied the, the Zodiac and you are aware of all 12 of them and you could recite them in order. You know, that's definitely a thing that a lot of people are um, able to do. Um, so instead of focusing on the passage of time, I really want to focus on the specifics. What is Aries? What does that mean? And that kind of gives you a framework to be able to utilize them within ritual, within writing, within whatever. Uh, like, for example, what if we wanted to invoke Aries energies into our lives? Or what if we found ourselves in a situation where we needed Libra because we were, you know, um, about to enter some very important aspect of our lives that was very Libra oriented? So those, those are the types of things that you might find yourself doing and uh, why I want to talk about the zodiac now i if for the sake of this episode i have separated out the concept of zodiac and horoscope i'm i'm separating them out more than i feel a lot of people do some people use the terms interchangeably when i'm saying horoscope i'm talking more about star charts natal charts your birth you know those types of um pieces of information when i'm talking about the zodiac i'm talking about the specific horoscopal symbols that are those different horoscopes um so i'm making that distinction for the sake of the conversation that is generally how i hear people make the distinction however those are very very convoluted terms and sometimes people do uh use them in, a, in place of each other i just think that it helps as a dividing line and a lot of the conversations i've had that seems to be the dividing line if you said it the other way around or if you really i've never heard it the other way around but i have heard them interchangeably if you use them interchangeably people will know what you're saying and you will not probably be looked down upon depending i guess depending on the people you're talking to maybe they look down at you for everything i don't fucking know um so that's kind of the line that i want to draw so with the zodiac where do they come from uh, now Unfortunately, astrology is very complicated at finding a lot of high-quality information because it is so widely accepted and because it has been so dumbed down for a modern audience. And so what ends up happening is if you go online and you search the elements of the, you know, I don't know, the elemental energies, elemental associations, the element of fire, you search those types of things. Or the planetary, you know, if you say the planet of Mars association or um, correspondences for Venus or, you know, those types of phrases, you're going to find a whole bunch of high quality information and some bad information, of course, you know, anything like that on the Internet, especially, you're going to have some trouble. But um, 
If you do it with astrology, you're going to get mostly bullshit. And it's just because it's been so widely accepted for so long and so dumbed down and in every weekly newspaper. And now um, there's just so much information out there about it that it's harder to get to the core of the information. One thing that I have noticed is that there's a whole lot of focus when it comes to the origin of the Zodiac. There's a whole lot of focus online of it being Greek, but it's not Greek. It didn't originate in Greece. So a lot of times you'll go on to like, for example, Wikipedia. Usually Wikipedia is a fantastic resource. I, I'm one of the people that regularly donates to Wikipedia. I strongly suggest other people do it as well because it's a great resource for people all over the world to learn all sorts of information for free. And over the years, Wikipedia has just continued to become a higher quality and higher quality and higher quality content that I, uh, I really value. I think that it's a very important thing to exist. And that even includes the occult. A lot of times for an episode, if I'm trying to find some good talking points, I'll head over to Wikipedia, take a look at what they have, head over to some other sites that I like, take a look what they have, and kind of formulate my own, uh, my own opinions and my own ideas off of that and off of, you know, my own personal experiences. But it helps as kind of a starting point. One of the things that I noticed when I was doing that is specifically with the Zodiac and astrology, there is a whole bunch of information out there on Wikipedia and on the general web that's about the Greek side of it. A lot of times they'll say, hey, this symbol originated with this ancient Greek myth. It's not the whole picture. And it's very unfortunate that not as many people have dove back farther with the Zodiac. Yes, there was a lot of development of those ideas in the Greek culture, similar to how alchemy was very heavily developed by the Greeks. But the reality is that it originated earlier. It originated in Mesopotamia, uh, which is, you know, um, like Sumeria, the Babylonians, that area in between the Tigris and Euphrates. It's modern-day Iraq. Um, and it had originated there in the second millennium BC or possibly older. Now there are that we, we definitely have absolute records from the second millennium of BC, but we, there are scholars who think that it might go back as far as paleolithic times. Now there is probably some truth to it being a little bit older because ideas tend to be in a culture for a while before they get like heavily documented before there's like archaeologically verifiable information because we lose artifacts over millions of years or thousands of years sorry uh we lose artifacts over thousands of years and uh some of that record gets destroyed with just the passage of time and the materials that it's stored on and those types of things but then also with those older cultures where everyone wasn't capable of reading and writing everyone wasn't capable of you know carving stone uh symbols into stone blocks there is definitely something to be said about how many hundreds and thousands of years an idea has to be in a culture before it starts to make its way into the artifacts that we end up losing anyway uh, over time. So I would agree with some scholars to say that it is probably older than the second millennium BC. I would not necessarily myself agree that it goes all the way back to Paleolithic times. And the reason why I say that is because I've taken a little bit of information as to how they came to that uh, conclusion that it would go all the way back to Paleolithic times. The symbols themselves seem to be very based on Sumeria Babylonian cultures, 
uh, the specific gods and goddesses, the specific things that are of import, it definitely seems to be tied heavily into that. Now, of course, a lot of the inspiration for those systems did come from Paleolithic times, but I don't think they were as developed back then because you are talking more about tribal villages and things like that, and even back farther. Um, another reason is because one of the major evidences that some of these scholars have used in order to say that it goes back to Paleolithic times is to say that, well, we found, you know, archaeological record of people, um, you know, carving a line on a stick every day of the moon cycle and then making like a lunar chart to be like, oh, okay, well, on this piece of bone here, I carved out 28 days and uh, put little markings on specific points. And now I have a lunar calendar and I can predict what this, the moon is going to look like tomorrow as it goes through its natural cycle. Now, if the Zodiac was purely an astrological timekeeping system, then I would agree that that is the beginning of astrology. But I definitely don't think that that's the case. Um, timekeeping systems definitely go back to uh, Paleolithic and maybe even pre-Paleolithic times. But as far as astrology and the Zodiac as we understand them today being associated with these archetypal forces, that seems to have originated from the Babylonians, just a couple thousand years later. Um, some of that inspiration was probably drawn, as most cultures come from the culture before it. I would imagine that that is true, but I definitely don't think that sign, moon signs is enough to say definitively this is the beginning of the Zodiac. I think that a much more likely scenario is that uh, as they started to timekeep in a way which they would like to predict the cycles of the world, obviously the first one was, hey, look at the seasons and the moon lunar cycle. Holy shit. We can kind of predict what's going to happen tomorrow. This is crazy. You know, uh, I'm sure that led to the belief that hey, if we can predict that, what other natural cycles exist? Well, there's the cycle of man growing up and becoming old and dying. There's the cycle of, you know, this uh, this plant that we need we rely on for survival and the way that it uh, eventually germinates and goes to seed, and then that seed becomes a new... There's a cycle that's very important to an ancient culture. What about agricultural, you know, like uh, husbandry? When you talk about, like, well, this pig and this pig are left in a, you know, an area together and they breed and make a new pig and then we can eat one of the pigs and still have two pigs, you know? So there's, there's definitely some natural cycles that are out there and I'm sure that timekeeping was observed as being a way that you might potentially try to unravel the mystery. Well, as they started to track the movements of stars, which we believe there were some cultures doing it, uh, we believe that a lot of that practice had originated with the Babylonians. Um... And once they start to track the positions of stars, eventually they have to have some kind of symbols to observe the passage of time through that lens. And they find themselves uh, associating with their myths. And that makes a lot of sense. They'd say, hey, yeah, well, you know how we have that story of like that one particular god and how it's all... Well, what if we said this area of the sky? Because it's usually, I don't know, because the last time the sun was there... You know, that god was around, and they start to associate their myths with different sections of the sky. 
I think that is a much more realistic setting to say this is the beginning of the Zodiac. Um, so there's two major schools of thought that descend from that Sumeria Babylonian culture. They make their own set of 12 symbols. There's reasons why. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit more about the math on the astrology episode. But there are reasons why this, we still to this day divide a circle into 360 degrees. There's reasons why there are 12 sections of the sky. Most of that has to do with the Babylonian number keeping system. So like, for example, nowadays we use a, um, a is it a de yeah, decimal? Yeah, the word for it is decimal system where we have uh, in deck, meaning 10, we have one, two, three, four, five, six. We have zero, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And then it cycles back. And now it becomes one, zero, one, two, or one, 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 two, one, three. Um, that cycling of numbers being originating around the number 10. The uh, Romans did it around five. So when you hit six, it goes back to the first one. Uh, the Babylonians were using, um, I want to say theirs was 12, uh, if I remember correctly. And uh, 360, 30 degrees, uh, all of these break down into their number system very easily. And so that's kind of why we still to this day measure the uh, degrees of a circle. They were the first to measure the degrees of a circle. And so they chopped it up into systems that were related to their own number system. Kind of like the metric system. It makes a lot of sense to use your number system as the breakdown and measure it in that way because it makes it really easy for conversions and uh, measurements and those types of things. Um, so I don't want to get too in-depth into the specifics of that, but this uh, system gets created for taking these archetypal systems, associating them with the movements of stars and objects and celestial origin, measuring them, measuring their distance from each other and those types of things. And then two major schools of thought are born from that source. And... If you look at a map, it's going to make a lot more sense. I'm going to say these two and you're going to be like, what the hell? Those are so far away from each other. But it makes a lot of sense if you understand where Mesopotamia is. Um, the, the two cultures that nowadays we look at as the fount of this information are India and um, Greece, right? The ancient Greeks, the Hellenistic Greeks and uh, ancient India are the two that... Uh, really developed the Zodiac into what they are today. And there are two very different schools of thought that have developed from that. You have the Zodiacal and the Sidereic Astrology. Now, they have a little bit of different ways of going about it, but a lot of the symbols are pretty damn similar. And the reason for that is because pretty much right in between India and Greece is Mesopotamia. And so as these ideas um, had found their ways into the trade routes that were being established in between these great societies. They were trading ideas and trading um, some of their um, beliefs. Now, the Greek branch itself was actually brought by Alexander the Great after con conquering the Babylonian Empire. And the Greeks kind of mixed their extreme love of mathematics with the Babylonians' um, measurement systems and their uh, astrological symbols and that's kind of what we see today in the west as we see kind of our modern interpretation of that now if you grow up in more of a 
an Eastern culture, you're probably a little bit more familiar with the Sidereic astro astrology. Sidereic is a little bit more, um, more inspired by India's culture mixing with the Babylonian culture through different events throughout history. They're, the, the original symbols are similar, but the way that that culture influenced the development of that art form have, have drastically changed. And so because of that, uh, you can definitely have a conversation across that, that, um, that method line. Uh, but you are going to find that different ones have picked up different things over the years. Sidereic tends to be much more the physical location of a physical star and how many degrees away some other star is. While the Greeks took those 12 horoscopes, divided the heavens into exactly equal portions. So like, for example, let's say there's a, there's a sign in the sky that is larger than the other signs in the sky. The zodiacal would even out the sections of the sky that we associate with all that, whereas the sidereal will actually say, no, this is longer. It takes more days to get through it. Um, and so that just depends on style and those types of things. And we'll dive a lot more into that during the astrology episode. But um, when we talk about the zodiacal forces, usually we're applying those ideas to a birth chart, like a natal chart, uh, which is basically um, like you're born, what sign was the sun in as far as Usually it's zodiacal is, is how we would usually interpret that in the West at least. But um, that's usually where I hear somebody say like, I'm a Pisces, I'm a Sagittarius, I'm a Virgo. What they mean is that if you, if you drew a map of the heavens, this section right here that the sun was in when you were born is yeah, Taurus. So you're a Taurus. That's generally how they break it down. There's a lot more to it. There's a lot more celestial objects and that's why I think we fall flat in a modern time and you can definitely track a lot more interesting stuff but there's a reason why before doing this we talked about some other systems and I really want to bring up those systems so first off we talked about the elements very very early on and then we after we had talked about I think we talked about the elements and then planets and then alchemy if I remember correctly and that's kind of a weird order to go in if we're trying to like get into like the specifics of something, but um, that has been by design because I knew that we couldn't have the Zodiac conversation until we had already talked about the elements and talked about alchemy. And we'll talk about some of the reason why in a little bit, but what we would like to do is kind of break down the Zodiac in relation to those other systems so that they become a little bit more obvious to work with a little bit more. It, it, it will lay the framework for the zodiac and then we can uh better dissect the energies that we're playing with when we're talking about these things and put them into an observable framework so in order to do that first we have to lay down a foundation of what are the zodiac and then we're going to have to go back through each one of them and analyze what we mean by saying this one has an elemental association or a chemical association and why that's important um so I've already listed them off. I'm going to list them off one more time. This is in order. So starting from, if you're, if you're using the astrological dates, starting in April, you would, uh, you know, the world starts to come alive. It's the beginning of the astrological new year and uh, Aries begins the cycle. So you have Aries 
Ares is that ram. Uh, you have Taurus, the bull. You have Gemini, the twins. You have Cancer, which is a crab. Sometimes it's more of like a... It's usually like depicted as like a crab crab, uh, but sometimes it's depicted more as other types of crustaceans. I've seen it as a lobster. I've seen it as a crayfish. I've seen it as a crab. Uh, Leo is the lion. Uh, Virgo is a maiden. Uh, usually she's holding something. We'll talk about what that is and why. Uh, Libra is the scales. So um, if you've ever seen like those wing scales, those ancient wing scales where they would take weighted uh, objects on one side and then whatever you're trying to weigh on the other and you just try to make them balance until it stops moving and then you know that's how much this thing weighs. Uh, those types of scales are often the symbol for Libra. Scorpio, which is a scorpion. Uh, Sagittarius, which is this centaur with a bow and an arrow and he's like, you know, shooting that, uh, that arrow. Uh, Capricorn. Or Capricornus, depending on which culture you come from. I've always heard of Capricorn, but the proper Latin name is Capricornus. Uh, all of these are Latin, by the way. Um, is Capricorn is the goat. Now, I have seen him depicted as a mountain goat, which is not the whole story. It if you if you start looking into how it's depicted a lot of the more accurate ways it's a a goat head on like like a uh, fish's tail it's almost like if you took a goat instead of a person and you made a mermaid so it's got like two legs uh, that are goats and then it's got a fish's rear end and tail and then it's got a goat head um that is the uh well we'll talk about um and then uh, Aquarius, the water bearer. So if you've ever seen, it's sometimes depicted as like a woman pouring water. It's sometimes depicted as just a vessel of water. Um, and then Pisces. Pisces is two fish swimming with each other. Um, so Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer, Leo, Virgo, Libra, Scorpio, Sagittarius, Capricorn, Aquarius, and Pisces. Those are the Latin names. That's generally the names that we hear depicted nowadays. Um, there are Greek versions of it. There's Sanskrit versions of it. Um, I don't want to dig too much into what they are, but I figured that they're worth at least mentioning. So uh, Aries is Krios, Taurus is Tauros, uh, Gemini is Didymoi, Cancer is Carquinos, Leo is Leon, Virgo is Parthenaeus, uh, Libra is Zygos, Scorpio is Scorpios, Sagittarius is Toxites, uh, Capricorn is Egokerios, Aquarius is Hydrocus, Hydra being water, yeah, it's like a water bearer, uh, Pisces being, wait, Capricorn is Igokeros. Aquarius is Hydrocos. Pisces is Ichthyus. Uh, I probably butchered all those presentations, or all of those pronunciations, which is partially why I don't want to dig too much into it. I don't speak Greek. I don't speak much Greek. I, I, I know a couple of catchphrases. That's about it. Um, you probably couldn't say that somebody that can count in Spanish can speak Greek or speak Spanish, but, uh, you know, if you know 10 words, uh, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, in Sanskrit, Aries is Mesa, Taurus is, I'm going to butcher these even worse, Vrasaba, 
Gemini is Methuna, Cancer is Karaka, Leo is Simha, Virgo is Kanya, uh, Libra is Tula, Scorpio is Vriskika, Sagittarius is Danusa, Capricorn is Makara, Aquarius is Kumba, and Pisces is Mina. Um, if you'd like that information, you want to dig more into those tr translations, uh, that is a list that I pulled off of Wikipedia, so definitely go check it out. Um, but basically what I wanted to do is at least mention, because we know that these phrases, these 12 symbols, spent a lot of time in Greece and a lot of time in India being developed, that we have those names there so that if you wanted to kind of look at the difference between those symbols, they're available for you to do. Um, but much, much more important than that is understanding where they actually came from. So the Sumerian and Babylonian names uh, and the specific symbols that we use for them has helped to explain a little bit of why. So like, for example, Aries is a ram. Why is Aries a ram? That's a really big question, right? Why the hell would we start this astrological symbol with the symbol of a ram? What's the point here, right? So in the Babylonians, they wouldn't have called it Aries. That's the Latin name. They would have called it Lohunga. And Lohunga is a worker and like an agrarian worker. He's like a like a like somebody who practices husbandry, who's, who raises sheep and lamb and those types of things, raises rams. And uh, there was a specific god that was associated with that type of shepherds and husbandmen and, and those types of things. He was named Demuzi. And uh, Demuzi was this, um, you know, this, this god that was often associated with some of the beginning of a culture being able to sustain itself. And obviously had some pretty serious... Uh, I, I think nowadays if we invented gods, they would be gods of things that we very much value you know it would be things like electricity and you know the digital i'm sure that would be a massive component to our lives and there would definitely probably be some kind of money there would be you know um there would be things like family and the home and those types of things and the babylonians were no different uh they made gods of the things that they valued that they found were important aspects to their society and obviously being able to raise animals was a pretty big one. Then you get to Taurus, and Taurus is Guana, and Guana is a divine bull of the heavens. And so as uh, agriculture starts to transition into not just the small animals, but we are now capable of the big animals, and the big animals give more food. They give more meat, they give milk, you know, they give the ability to be able to pull things uh, so they're, they're stronger than us. And so now that we have tamed them, we can, you know, so bulls are sacred in a lot of different cultures. There's sacred bulls in Greece. There's sacred bulls in India. And the Babylonians also had their divine bull of the heavens concept. So then the Gemini is the twins. Why is it twins? What a strange, all, there's only two of these things that have two entities. Everything else is one ever, you know, a ram, a bull, a crab. Why is there twins here? Well, the twins were a reference to two specific gods, right? There was uh, Luria and Meslamatia. And I'm sure that I butchered those pronunciations, but um, 
Just expect that. I'm going to stop saying that I butchered the pronunciation. Just expect that I did for the rest of this episode. <laughs> if it's a language I don't speak, and sometimes when I do speak that language, I'm going to mess it up. Um, so the great twins were these um, these two gods, usually always depicted together. They acted sometimes as guardians towards, you know, like somebody might depict them uh, before entering the home or those types of things. But mostly they were guarding uh, the underworld. And so these two gods would be, you know, the ones who uh, chopped you all up into bits. They broke you down. They took, you know, the now dead individual and just removed everything that wasn't it going to the underworld with them. You know, so they chopped them up and broke down all the bones and those types of things. And so these these twins get associated with this concept of like the breaking down of things, but also this duality between these two this, this discourse of how this one considers one thing to be valuable and this other one considers this other thing to be valuable and that, that discourse being that which, you know, breaks things down. Um, then we get to Cancer and the Crab. That's um, Alulu, Alul, which is crayfish. It literally translates to crayfish. Um, crayfish was probably one of the first, you know, uh, animals that they were regularly trapping and able to feed large populations with. And so there was some importance to this, this stage. And um, Leo, the lion, uh, the word was Ugalu, and it literally translates to lion. <coughs> um, Virgo, the maiden, it was Absin, uh, the furrow, which is... Uh, closely related to uh, Sala or Shala, depending on how um, how it's pronounced in a, in a modern era. Um, there's different interpretations as to how that word was pronounced. But basically, there's this god, Adad, and his wife, Sala. Uh, she is the, uh, the, the virgin goddess holding wheat. She always has grain in her hands. And if you go look at a picture of Virgo, uh, you will often see the symbol depicted as a woman holding grain, right? Again, this goes back to that concept we've kind of been building on, which is that these gods and goddesses are heavily related to the technology at the time and one of the important stages that allowed society to exist as it does was the ability to make grain. And so Virgo being this, this maiden that gifts uh, life in the way that agriculture gifts life um libra being the scales the word for it in babylonian was zibam ana and that literally translates to scales probably meaning something along the lines of measurement you know um scorpio uh their word was literally gertab which means scorpion um sagittarius in modern day we present him as a centaur an archer that's a very Greek concept. Uh, but in Babylonian culture, the word was publisog. And publisog is a... Um, he's uh, like a soldier. Uh, the, I think the word itself, Nedu, if I remember correctly... Oh, no, no, no publisog is the god's name. Publisog is, uh, is a soldier god. And so Sagittarius gets associated with those types of things. And we'll, we'll break down the symbols in a little bit after we kind of talk about their this, the origin of the archetypal symbol itself. Capricorn um, in Babylonian was Sir Hamas. And this is the interesting one. Uh, the goat fish, 
why the fuck did they mix a goat and a fish? I have no idea, right? Well, it's because it was a depiction of an ancient Sumerian god. Uh, if anybody's familiar with Enki, Enki is the mischievous wisdom, magic, incantations. He resides in the ocean that is under the earth. Uh, basically, uh, these cultures believed that underneath the earth was a vast ocean of this, you know, subconscious and magic and power. And But it was like an ocean, right? Uh, so naturally, it had to have some fish-like traits in order to exist down there. And then uh, if it was going to be a mischievous god of wisdom and magic and incantations, um, I, I find it funny in a way that it, it has a goat head. Because nowadays, you know, we associate that with, you know, the horned god, Coronas, or we associate it with Baphomet, or we associate it with, you know, very goat-oriented things. But Enki takes that slot in Babylonian culture of being that mischievous god of wisdom. And uh, the occult god, basically. Capricorn. Um, that's why it's a goat. <laughs> uh, Aquarius, the water bearer. Um, the word for it was Gula, which means great one. And eventually they they also described it as Ka, which is a uh, pitcher, like a pitcher of water. Uh, Gula was actually a goddess, and she was portrayed as a midwife, a healer. She um, was a, a associated with like um, healing in the aspect of like like how you might help someone deliver a baby, or if you got sick, you might have like a woman mix herbs for you, or those types of things. Uh, Gula was a, a goddess of those types of things, that building up in that way. And then Pisces uh, was described as Simma, which is the tail of the swallow, or Dununu, which is the fish cord. Um, so Pisces if you look in the Greek culture, is sometimes not two fish. It is sometimes a swallow. The tail of a swallow, the splitting tail of a swallow. Uh, and it's sometimes portrayed as two fish. And the reason for that is because of this Sumerian concept that was tied into the swallow. Um, okay, so that's their origins themselves. We've talked about, like, okay, these are the Babylonian reasons why there's uh, a, a goat with a fishtail or a lady with a, a vessel of water. Like, why would those be the symbol? It's because of associating with these Babylonian cultures. And then later, as the Greeks take them over, the Greeks kind of superimposed their own mythologies onto these things that already kind of existed. Uh, so, like, for example, with the ram, Ares, uh, there is some myths around, you know, the golden fleeced uh, sheep golden fleeced ram that uh, gets tied into one of the stories. I don't remember entirely the whole story off the top of my head, but uh, the point being the Greeks took these symbols and superimposed some ideas onto them. Obviously the Indian uh, India did as well. Um, so that's kind of where it starts to formulate. Then you also see these cultures respond in like and start to, to to write some of their mythos around these concepts. Like, for example, the Greeks and the, uh, the story of Heracles. Heracles uh, has his 12 trials. And his 12 trials, one of them is a lion. And one of them is a hydra. And one of them is, you know, this water beast. And one of them... And so, if you go through all 12 of his trials, 
you can find one that is each one of the Zodiac and each lesson that he learns throughout that uh, helps him to become the Heracles um, to make him worthy of being Heracles um, so from those sources from the Babylonians first and then from the Greeks developing it and the Indians developing it we start to see archetypal symbols emerge and each one of them has associations, stages. Um, and because it was originally associated with the time of year and those types of things, we start to see symbols kind of emerge out of this idea. So we're going to talk a little bit about the symbols themselves. Um, so starting off is Aries. Aries is associated with spring being the beginning of that cycle. It's also the very first and so it gets associated with things like childlike curiosity and being playful and the resilient, uh, innocent nature. But it also gets associated with things like the wild child, like, you know, your, your kid that hits 17 years old and you can't get him to fucking listen. Uh, and it's a little self-destructive and he's feisty and he's, you know, very blunt. He doesn't fully understand nuance of like, you know. So it's, it's associated with those types of things, self-discovery, personality, going to a rave you know, new exciting experiences and that, that livelihood that is the ram going out into the world, butting its head up against things uh, that helps it to discover the way the world works, right? Uh, it's very closely related, but not the same symbol of like the tarot f card, the fool. You know, all of the potential is in Aries. It's, it's the first of the horoscopes. It's the least educated about how this works. There are certain cultures that believe that you start off as an Aries and then you make your way throughout all of the different signs. And so a lot of people will say that Pisces are old souls and Aries are young souls. But it really just kind of comes down to this uh, this idea of this symbol being, uh, you know, remember as we talked about the elements, you know, when you hear us talk about symbols, think about them in the abstract. Try to put all of the things in the box that I list. Don't try to hyper-focus on one of them and say, Aries equals childhood curiosity. No, Aries equals all of these things mixed together into one abstract energy. That's that's the idea. So on to Taurus. Taurus is things like, uh, well, so Taurus is the bull, right? Taurus is this idea of like luxury and practical nature, you know, which are things that it takes in order to harvest bulls. Uh, and it's um, something that it provides you know the bull provides a whole bunch of high quality meat there's luxury involved in that there's sensuality there's uh the, the bull itself is very stubborn um it, it, it makes you wealthy to raise a whole bunch of bulls and so there's this idea of like physical possessions being tied into it um sentimental types of ideas being very sentimental towards towards things uh, personal finances, possessions, hardworking individuals. These are all things that get tied into the concept that is Taurus, right? Gemini, the twins that break you down. Gemini are known to dissect multifaceted issues, to break them down into the core. And um, often they're kind of thought as being like two-sided, but it's not really that they're two-sided so much as they're flexible and quick-witted. They're impulsive and nosy and uh, it gets, you know, associated with concepts of like communication and learning and politics because politics is two-sided. There's like 
you know, the public and the private side of politics. But then there's also like, hey, are you going to vote for the red team or the blue team? And so uh, politics and, you know, I'm describing a very uh, American concept of politics. If you're outside the United States, I don't know what politics are like in your area. I'm describing American politics Will you pick the dude in the red tie or the dude in the blue tie because, you know, but they're both probably um, silver tongued. And uh, yeah, Gemini's not necessarily manipulative, but they get uh, they they are adaptive enough to see both sides of the issue and then use that perspective in order to break something down into its core. Uh, it's also uh, anything where you have like duality of concepts. So you have like siblings, like you have the older and the younger, you have the male and the female, you have, you know, um, those types of things are Gemini's. Um, things which are mixed together in their full components as opposed to mixed together uh, in a way that they blend. So you wouldn't consider Gemini to be an energy if you took red dye and blue dye and poured it into a glass of water and made purple dye. But you would consider it to be if you mixed red oil and uh, blue water and mixed it in and shook up the jar and then those two things separated and you still had red and blue water mixed together in one jar. So it's a multifaceted jar of liquid. That is where you're talking about the symbol that is Gemini. Um, cancer is very family home oriented and a lot of that comes back to that symbol of the crab or the crayfish or you know um how do you catch a crayfish well you make a home for it and then you pull that home out of the water you make a trap that's what you do you know you put the trap in the river you make a little house for the crabs that they can get into but they can't get out and they get up to the doorway and they go oh i really want to be inside of this house i think there's some food in there i see a bunch of other crabs that sounds cool it's all communal and shit and then they climb in and they can't get back out the door right uh same concept right cancer is about family it's about home it's about protectiveness because a, a crab and a crayfish have like a hard protective shell on the outside of them and so uh it's about you know things like the country uh, it's nurturing, it's resistant to change because, you know, you can't really put like a really hard, rigid animal inside of any kind of container because it's always this shape. So it's very resistant to change and oriented around things like the family, the home, inheritance, those types of, you know, uh, those types of things. Leo is an energy that is, uh, <laughs> I have a saying uh, that arose. One time I was doing a lecture and it was, uh, I had been invited out to give some presentations at a uh, local metaphysical shop um, that had to do with astrology and the system of astrology. And as I was trying to describe the different horoscopes, I had this one individual that just kept interrupting, kept trying to make it all about them. They kept like trying to be the center of attention. And it got to the point where I was at Leo and I just pointed at that individual and everyone like, what? I'm like, this is, this is the energy of Leo. And it, she like looked at me and looked at everyone and she goes, yeah, I'm a Leo. <laughs> and then we kept joking with her cause you know, it was all in good fun and everyone was having a good time. By no means was the person being disruptive or rude or anything, but they were, you know, the center of attention. Uh, and I just kept saying, that's so Leo. Like that was my response to everything was like, yeah, that's so Leo. And Leos can be frustrating if you're trying to get shit done, but they are the life of the party. So like if you're 
uh, doing something like sports or like creative ventures, or like theater, or you're having a feast and a party and, you know, like there's loud music and everyone's having fun. The Leo is the one that comes into that party and makes it a party. Otherwise, if you don't have the Leo energy there, it's just everyone standing in a circle being socially awkward and being like, I don't, I watered my plants today, but the fucking Leo walks in and everyone's laughing and having a good time because now there's like some focal point of all of this excitement, aggressive self-expression. And they're very generous and outgoing individuals. It's very positive, but you know, if you're trying to do a lecture, it can be frustrating. Uh, if you're the Leo that I was talking about, <laughs> uh, I, I still genuinely love you and respect you. You did make me very frustrated, but we had a great time. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a very important place for Leos in the world. And I think that uh, that's important to remember. It's just not at my lectures. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so that's the energy of Leo. It's that very self-expressive solar energy of just like, in your face, this is who I am, which is bold and important. Virgos, um, Virgos are organization, attention to detail, to clean, relentless cleaning, uh, restless with having to do something at all times. Um, you know, uh, and I'm not saying that Virgos act like this because I think there's a lot more to sun signs and astrology, really all of these signs. There's so much more to it what other where, where where was your moon you know sure we know where your sun was at where was your moon uh you know where were the other planets so there's definitely something to be said about that being a little different um but when we're talking about the energy that is virgo the energy that is virgo is like i could sort this drawer i've got some extra time i you know this drawer is messy and it's always bothering me i could sort it and make it like labeled and fucking perfect like the other day um, I went through a very, very Virgo stage and, uh, basically we have a, a ritual that we were often doing in a, in a group, uh, setting. Um, and there's like a whole temple that has to get set up for it every time. So we like rent space from a local place and they are kind enough to let us use a large room and we set up some chairs and we, for, you know, those who are attending the ritual and then we set up, you know, everything from, some curtains and a high altar and a medium altar and a low altar. And um, each one of them has like specific items on it. So there's like an incense burner and a bowl of water and, you know, all of the types of things. And, and it's this long scripted ritual. It takes, I don't know, an hour, hour and a half probably. And there's multiple individuals that all take different archetypal uh, points throughout the ritual. They all take a specific character in the ritual, you know, everyone comes together and, goes through it and there's this uh, important elevation and change that happens from it right and that's a lot of shit to put in some totes and carry across town to some random you know room that we have rented in order to use this space and then pack it all up and make sure that we've you know cleaned and been nice to the people who uh, have given us that space and I went through this super Virgo stage of like Jesus Christ, these totes that we have all of our shit in are just absolutely a mess. It is like, sure, the first time they were organized, maybe the second time they were a little bit organized, but like one by one, an object would end up in the wrong tote. And then eventually it's just a pile. You know, you just have this pile in this tote and this pile in that tote, but really there's no organization whatsoever. You can't find anything. And every single time we were setting up for this ritual, and we were doing this often, like once a month kind of a thing. 
every time we're setting up for that, we can't find anything. And it drove me nuts. And so I found myself dedicating some time over a weekend, not even asking anybody else to help, dedicating some time and just taking everything out of those boxes, adding new boxes so that there was, you know, more space to organize things in, adding little boxes within those boxes so that or little kits, little bags, those types of things. So we could say, oh, okay, I put all of the candles in that bag there and it's labeled now. And now you know where it's at every single time. That's Virgo. It's to organize that attention to detail, to clean things up. It's restless in a way, you know, like where you're like, oh, okay, you know, I've got some time. I could be doing something productive. Um, and it because of that, it also gets associated into things like taking care of your health or work. You know, like your, your job, your task that you accomplish for the universe. Um, it gets associated to those things, you know, because there is some maintaining that needs to happen with your health and some organization that needs to happen in your career. So that's, yeah. Uh, Libra. Libra is the scales, if you remember. And that tells you everything you need to know about Libra. So we'll just go directly on to, I'm just kidding. We're not going to skip and go straight to Scorpio. Uh, think about what is the emblematic image that is holding scales. There is, especially in American culture, there is this archetypal image that holds the scales. It's justice. There is this image of justice. It's a woman in a Greek dress who has a blindfold on it's tied around and she's holding scales that is libra it is literally probably a symbol of libra that has been adopted into the concept of justice i think that whoever created that statue might have looked at libra as an inspiration because it is things like justice and weighing out options it is truth it is court uh, it is law, it is tact and diplomacy, it is fairness, balance, um, partnerships, any type of like, if you like own a business with one other person and so you have to like balance out like where's the fair amount of work in between these two individuals, relationships, uh, definitely not like the sexual side of the relationship, but the other side, the, the, the part of the relationship that takes work, like big news flash guys, it takes a bunch of fucking work to be in a relationship. It's and anybody who doesn't think that is either toxic as fuck or uh, hasn't yet hit the point where the butterflies went away. You have to put in work and find fairness and balance within a relationship. That's where that comes in. Uh, it's also marriage and divorce and those types of things where there's like some kind of like a legal document of the relationship, the partnership that exists and how you manage those things. And then once that partnership dissolves, who gets what? That is Libra. So that image of justice with the blindfold, justice being blind, trying to be fair, but also being associated, justice is always associated with the courts. Those sorts of things, that is Libra. Um, any of those types of balancing out. Now, you could, you could take that as like, that's the only place in the universe that Libra is. I don't agree with that, but it's the most obvious and the easiest to paint the picture. You'll find Libra in other places, of course. You know, it doesn't always have to be the court systems. But if you understand that there is this strive of the courts to try to be as ethical as humanly possible in a, in a 
which is impossible. You cannot have an ethical system of punishment because the human element makes it so we are incapable of knowing truly what happens. We have to do our best to try to discern what happened and then we fuck it up and, you know, all of that chaos that ensues from the failure to be true and fair and just. Um, all of that kind of stuff gets tied into Libra individuals and how they're trying to be fair to everyone. And they fail at that. And then it becomes weird and toxic sometimes, you know. But that energy, Libra, is that organization of justice. Um, so now on to the Scorpio. Uh, the Scorpio is the most hated of all of the signs and also the one that everybody loves. Um, Scorpios are highly sexual and sightful and um can often be kind of aggressive with their own needs and desires. And the energy that is Scorpio is kind of like that, where it's tied into sexual insight and closeness, but like in like uh, that feeling after just an intense, passionate fuck session with somebody who you're now like more emotionally connected to and you just like hold each other like exhausted after after it's all done and you're the whole room smells like sweat and you're just embraced in that like closeness of like fuck we just went through that together that is a very scorpio feeling um and because of that it's tied into a lot of stuff like joint resources or like loans where it's like other people's money you know it's uh the scorpio sees that there is pleasure for themselves there is closeness intimacy that there is uh there that those types of things exist in others and they are able to go get them out of that other place not in necessarily in a way where they take advantage it could be in a way that they take advantage and that's usually why the scorpio sun sign individuals get associated with being uh like toxic or using people up and spitting them out and those types of things because any of these energies if uh not kept in check can become destructive uh scorpio is no different i actually don't think that they get a fair rep i think that a lot of people you know um uh, turn it into something toxic when it's not they're just they're just able to see that commodity that's out there in the other individual um and in other people's bank accounts and in other people's you know other people is really the the key to scorpio to understanding that sexual passion they're also really interested in like legacy because uh scorpio energy is about that relationship with others with otherness and because of that it's one thing to say i view myself in a certain way it's another to say others view me in a certain way and if your focus is on others and what you can get out of others and that relationship with others and that intimacy that exists in others then where are you really going to pull your self-worth is it going to be from yourself or from others right everything in your world is from others and so um yeah the scorpio's energy is i mean it is a little bit i get why they consider it toxic and to be fair the symbol that is a scorpion has a stinger you know um but it's not necessarily evil or wrong it just is, you know. But because of that, they're much less um, 
tied into like the concept of justice and fairness and those types of things. Everybody wants a Libra friend, not everybody wants a Scorpio friend. But again, we are talking about base energies, not individuals. Um, just using the individuals to kind of paint a picture of what this energy is, if that makes sense. So on to Sagittarius. Sagittarius is the soldier. Remember, it's the centaur with the archer, bow, and uh, Pelsog, the, uh, the soldier deity of the um, Babylonians. Uh, Sagittarius is the, the conquester. It is devoted to truth, adventure, variety, exploration, travel, discovery, and because of all those things, it's also tied into, like, scientific discovery. You know, like, why do you really try to solve the mysteries of the universe? Do you solve them because you think to yourself, you know, it would be practical... Here's the Taurus uh, viewpoint. It would be practical for us to go out and learn more about how the world works and then use those things in order to... No, that's not why it happens. Nobody thinks from the Taurus perspective in order to do science. They think from the Sagittarius perspective. I will go out and plunder the secrets of the universe so that I might behold their glory and I will bring it back here. And then once it's back there, everyone else around them goes, hey, you know what we could use that scientific discovery for? Is we could make our lives better with it. But that's not why the Sagittarian or the scientist did it in the first place. They did it because it was a mountain to climb. It was something to understand that we did not understand. And they passionately and boldly go towards that adventure, towards that understanding, towards that mystery. That's Sagittarius. Sagittarius sometimes devoted towards like an actual physical adventure. But sometimes it's more of like scientific or learning or like like anything you were like passionately trying to accomplish that you met met with resistance but you overcame that that is that is what sagittarius is um capricorn the goat the sea goat benki uh he's money responsibility reliability he's steady and cautious it's about career. It's about status. It's about honor. It's about authority. You know, um, Enki in Babylonian culture takes this um, perspective of uh, the 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 mischievous god. You know, he's the wise one, but he's also kind of like perceived as evil by some of those around him. You know, he's not necessarily uh, viewed in like the most positive light. And I think the same can be said when you take that same symbol of Enki. And you take Anki over into the Greek culture, and he, well, I'm not going to take him to Greek. I'm going to take him to Roman. Take him over to Roman culture, and he becomes Saturn. Think about the planet Saturn. Of course, that went off. I thought I turned my phone off. It's so disruptive. One moment. So he's, he's the, of course, that disruption happened while we were talking about Saturn and Enki and fucking... <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Um, yeah, it's it's the it's aligned with uh, a lot of the same concepts as Saturn, where it's aligned with like these um, your okay. So managing money is an unfortunately complicated thing to do, and it sucks because yeah, you need to do it. And it will benefit your life if you do it, but it also means that you don't buy that new TV that you want or whatever the thing is, right? 
And so there's that certain level of like responsibility that gets tied into that being cautious. Um, but then NK is also tied into some concepts that are like career status and honor and authority. Those are also things that, you know, need to exist in the world. There has to be some kind of structure as we move forward so that everything's not just chaotic. But those individuals often get hated as the organizers because if you abuse that position, you affect a lot of people with your negative bullshit, you know? So there's some reason why we hate people that are in those types of positions. Um, Capricorn is that. They're responsible with their money, you know? They're uh, often in positions of leadership and authority. When they're not in positions of leadership and authority, they take positions of leadership and authority very seriously. So if somebody has authority over them, they respect it for authority's sake. Capricorn is that type of energy, you know? Um, let's see. Capricorn. Now we're at Aquarius. Aquarius is the big picture. And in the most artistic and communal way possible. Aquarius is like... Uh, innovation, inventiveness, friendly nature towards others. It's about friendship. It's about groups of people. It's about togetherness, like large conglomerates. It's about community, that feeling of community. But it's about hopes and wishes and uh, dreaming of an idealistic society. You know, where does this all go? That's Aquarius. Aquarius is that togetherness and that exploration of what that means. Um, if you want to understand Aquarius, look at a lot of that belief that was arisen around the age of Aquarius, the uh, 1960s and 70s, where uh, in the United States there was this belief that, I don't know, that they were unfolding into some new type of thing, and they were going to break down the old restrictive walls and come into this new idealistic perfection. That's, that's the Aquarian energy of um, artistic unfolding and uh, beauty and friendship and togetherness and those types of things, okay? And then finally, Pisces. Pisces uh, is extreme in a weird way. They're emotional. It's, uh, it's in a lot of ways sensitive, where compassion towards others, the willingness to self-sacrifice and give somebody the shirt off their back, definitely a major component of Pisces. But the Piscean energy is also things like imagination and inspiration. But much more importantly, it is spirituality and subconscious. It has a lot to do with like um, that archetypal shaman character who, um, you know, lives a little far away from others because they offend him so often. But he also is incredibly driven towards spirituality and the unraveling that is the psyche and the mysteries. Um, that's Pisces. So we got through all of the individual ones. These are the symbols themselves. And if you start with Aries in the sky and you go around to the east, you'll find yourself going through that cycle. And the reason for that is because while the sun goes east to west because of the spin of the earth, the sun on the backdrop of all of the symbols in the sky that are behind it. Because as you rotate around the Earth, the angle changes. So uh, the objects move to the east, while the whole sky moves to the west. 
Uh, so if you start at Aries and go around to the east, you'll go through in that order. You'll hit Aries and then Taurus and then Gemini and Cancer and Leo and Virgo and Libra and Scorpio and Sagittarius and Capricorn and Aquarius and Pisces in that order. And then it'll circle back around to Aries. Um, not super important to understand that. Probably much more important for the astrology episode. But for this episode, what we want to do is we want to kind of break that down a little bit and understand uh, these breakdowns that we've been hinting at with the elements and alchemical forces. So there are 12 zodiac. There are four elements. And there are three primamata being the, um, the prime forces of, a, of alchemy. So there's four elements, three states of energy. So the states of energy being sulfur, salt, and mercury. The four elements being fire, earth, air, and water, right? Um, each of the f 12 zodiac has one association with an element and one association with one of those three states of energy. So, for example... Aries is a very fire sign. It has to do with curiosity and exploration and feisty, blunt self-discovery and those new experiences, new, fresh, right? And that's a very fiery-oriented thing, right? Uh, but there's some other fire elements as well. You know, Leo being this uh, aggressive self-expression, generosity, outgoing, feasts and parties and those types of things. That's also a very fiery element thing, but there's something different between the two of them because Aries is a cardinal sign. Cardinal is like a sulfuric sign, right? It is sulfur. And uh, Leo is more of a fixed sign. It is more of like the element in its own element, if that makes sense. Cardinal is the beginning of something. It's sulfuric. Boom, this starts the reaction. And then... Uh, fixed signs are more like the salt, the alchemical salt being like, this is the coagulated true form of this particular element. So if you take 4 times 3, you get 12. There's 12 signs. There are 3 for each element, and there are 4 for each cardinal sign. Uh, or alchemical sign, sorry. I said cardinal sign because I had just said cardinal. And the way that that kind of breaks down is that going around the year, it first starts on Aries. It is a fire sign. Then it goes to an earth sign, and then to an air sign, and then to a water sign, then back to a fire sign, and an earth sign, and an air sign, and a water sign. It goes through that cycle. But then it also starts with a cardinal sign being sulfur, and then it makes its way to a fixed sign, and then it makes its way to a, what is called a mutable sign. A mutable sign is the mercurial form. So uh, in astrology, they call it cardinal, fixed, and mutable. In alchemy, we call it sulfur, salt, and mercury. It's exactly the same concept, is that something can ex exist. Its existence is tied to the elemental association, but that how excited or not excited the energy inside of it is, is going to, you know, is it is it boom, fast, excited, beginning, sulfur? Or is it, no, it will stay in this crystallized state for a long period of time without any input or output. Or is it, you know, it is like the crystallized version of whatever that thing is? Or is it more like mercurial, where it's like very uh, flexible to change, you know? And so as we break down these signs, you're going to notice that each one of the signs themselves, and we'll go back over each one of them 
for some quick talking points. I don't want to do the whole thing all over again, but uh, you'll kind of see what I mean by each one of the signs being associated with an element, each one of the signs being associated with a... So first off, let's look at the fire signs. The fire signs are Aries, Leo, and Sagittarius. Okay, so let's think about what Aries was. It was that childhood curiosity, that wild child, feisty, self-discovery, new experiences concept. And then Leo is like aggressively outputting itself into the universe. It is like, hey, look at me. I'm the center of attention. Look at, look at how me I am. <laughs> that is so Leo. And then uh, Sagittarius uh, being that devotion to adventure and drive and exploration and you know it's like shooting out to the universe trying to understand itself and uh, accomplish the goals that are out there to climb the mountain for the mountain's sake it's a passion driven experience so all those are pretty fire signs aren't they then we get to the earth signs the earth signs are Taurus Virgo and Capricorn Taurus it's a bull Taurus is probably the perfect example of an earth sign. It's luxury and, you know, money and personal possessions. And, you know, it's pretty easy to see how that's tied into earth element stuff. And then Virgo. Virgo being the woman that holds the grain. Uh, that's a very earth sign thing. That's the bounty of the earth, you know, being given in the form of food. And their organization, attention to detail, that restless nature uh, with work and health and uh, my experience of, you know, sorting out a huge thing for a whole bunch of other people, that's Virgo, right? And that is very oriented around the objects. It's very oriented around the earth element. You're just kind of rearranging that earth element. So where Taurus is about collecting the earth element, Virgo is about organizing that earth element. And then Capricorn. Capricorn is about managing money and responsibility and career and honor and authority and those types of things you could see that those are very practical oriented types of things it's a very earth element thing right then we get to the air element signs the air elements of gemini gemini makes a lot of sense for an air element because you have two sides to an issue and you're multifaceted and witted and flexible and you know it is things like communication it is things like learning and so uh by taking the two sides of the object you can really play with it and try to suss out the details of what's important and that's a very analytical way of going about it right libra is uh justice and truth and court and diplomacy and partnerships and marriage and those types of things and when you really break down libra that concept all of those concepts that tie into each other they're very much about like, okay, but let's cognitively understand what it, fairness is and then apply that into the world. Let's do the math to figure out which side has more in this situation. So, you know, it, one plus five plus two plus three or 10 plus two plus one plus five, which of these two piles is bigger? Let us have justice with how we treat these two different piles. That is Libra, right? That's a very air element type of a concept. And then Aquarius. Uh, Aquarius is an air sign that has to do with the big picture. It's artistic. It's, uh, you know, togetherness and hopes and wishes. It's that like, you know, you're daydreaming and you're like out there trying to find some semblance of how it should be. Can you cognitively come up with a way to picture how it should be instead of how it is? That's Aquarius. And that's a very psychological process. It's a very air element. 
then we get to the water signs. Water signs are Cancer, Scorpio, and Pisces. Cancer is all about family and the home and nurturing, inheritance, those types of things, right? What is in the home? What is the point of the home? The point of the home is love, connection, family, emotion. It's very driven by water. Scorpio is a water sign. Sexual, closeness, joint resources, things that are outside of your own self. That thing that you can get from other people is an emotional driven thing. And that's where I feel like we, we don't give justice to the Scorpios. We view them as a fire sign and, and a destructive one at that when really they are a water sign. And this is just how they interpret um, their connection with others. They find a way to get that thing, that emotional. So it's not necessarily, so when I say sexual, and I, I pointed out like the sexual closeness of two people after they fuck and they're holding each other and all that, that was the goal, you know. The Scorpio goal is that closeness that happens after the fact. It's not just the immediate gratification. And then the Pisces sign being, you know, like like I said, it, emotionally sensitive, compassionate, self-sacrifice, it's spirituality and the subconscious, those types of things make it a very water-oriented um, sign. Okay. So if each one of those is in a water sign, there was another difference in between them. So think about how each sign had three. So there's one that's cardinal, one that's fixed, and one that's mutable. So let's go look at the cardinal signs. Uh, first off, cardinal is sulfur, and that initiates the season. And so if you look at like the beginning, like if you go through the cycle, you start with Aries. Aries is a cardinal sign. It's the beginning of that season. Which season is it? Springtime right? It initiates it. It also happens to be the initiating of the year, which is why Aries is like super sulfuric. because it's, it's like brand new life, right? Uh, this, the cardinal signs, the sulfuric signs are always going to be the visionaries and idea people, right? And then the, the second is like when it's at its peak. That season is at its peak. It is its pure crystallized form. That's the salt signs, fixed signs they're gonna happen in the middle of the season and they're gonna kind of stabilize the things that are around them and then the mutable sign being the mercurial sign is going to be the one that's flexible to change because it is giving way to the next season it's about to disappear so it's it has to have like a little bit of the next season a little bit of the one before it you know it's got to be kind of mutable in between those two things because sulfur is coming back around right that cycle the cardinal sign is coming back around the next one in the cycle. So uh, the cardinal signs are Aries, Cancer, Libra, and Capricorn. So let's kind of look at the the initiation of stuff happening, you know? Uh, so Aries, they're, I mean, it's a daydream a lot of time. It's, it, an Aries is like uh, very, you know, it's feisty new experiences, brand new life. Look at this new year to start, right? Um, that's that Aries energy, that cardinal sulfuric starts the reaction right cancer same kind of concept but it's the very first of the water signs right um it's you know where where does you know they say where does love begin it begins in the home you know like that's that emotional water sign stuff is beginning brewing up from the home um libra being like justice being law tact diplomacy fairness 
fairness, you know? That's the beginning of that, that error element. It's like, what are you really trying to accomplish by thinking your way out of everything? That error element of like dissecting things. What, what is the point? Well, the point is to get to something that makes sense because it's fair and just, you know? Capricorn uh, being the uh, earth element, similar concept, you know? responsibility, being steady and cautious, honor, authority, those types of things. What you're trying to get to by being responsible is, you know, to have your 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 matter, your physical matter, your earth element in order. You want it to be where it belongs. You want it to be right. If you're not responsible, you know, you won't have any shit. So if you're, you know, if you have your passions... What is the ultimate goal of passions? To experience new things. What's the ultimate goal of, you know, water? It's the home, the connectedness. What's the, you know, ultimate goal of, you know, like what is the purpose of air? It is to have things be fair, to, to make, for them to make sense, for them to be done right. And then Capricorn, you know, what is the point of, you know, the responsibility is to, it is to get your earth element in order. Then you go to the fixed signs. The fixed signs are the peak of the season. Uh, so they're the, the purest expression of that particular element being in balance. So cardinal's trying to get to the balance. Fixed is the balance. And then mutable is letting way to the next part of the cycle. It's more flexible and liquidy. Um, so the fixed sign, Taurus perfect example think of the earth element taurus it is living in luxury it is stubborn and with its physical possessions it is sentimental it cares about its things it's hard working you know that element is in order when you get to that point leo uh very similar concept leo that you know what is the point of that passion it is to be able to find the self and to express it look at me i am the life of the party right uh, Scorpio, um, the point of, to a Scorpio, um, that closeness, that like two becoming one moment of like just holding each other, that joint expression. And then Aquarius, the fixed element that is air is, you know, what's the big picture? It's inventiveness, it's artistic, it's togetherness it's hopes and wishes and then we get to the mutable signs mutable signs are gemini virgo sagittarius pisces so these are the ones that are making way and you know slipping into the next so gemini is very very mutable think about what a gemini is it gemini is it's two really it's the twins it, it's taking an issue and looking at it from both sides it's so flexible that it's it's taking both sides of whatever it's looking at you know it's learning about things like that it's it's that um that uh silver-tongued quick-witted flexible response and virgo virgo is that attention to detail and that cleaning and that you know well virgo is mutable because it's not like the possessions are physically stationary no the the earth element is currently in flux. It's organizing. That's what it is for earth element to be in flux. 
Sagittarius is fire. It is not just fire expressing itself as its burning sun in the middle of the, the void, the way that a Leo is. It, instead, it is the fire that is st striving to climb the mountain. It is going up the mountain. The fire is in movement up to that place. You know, it's flexible in the way that it's not just, you know, that it's, it's, it is adventure. And then in Pisces, it's uh, immutable because of that compassion towards others, and that spiritual, that inspiration, that flowing sense from one thing to another. And so uh, that is why it's mutable is because it's so willing to seed its own emotion for the good of the other's emotion, if that makes sense, or that water element. So uh, there's a couple of interesting things that you can do with this, right? So number one, it's much easier to understand an element once you have looked at it in comparison to the other elements, right? When you looked at a system of four, there was less to memorize, but okay, if there's a system of four, you can kind of see that fire element in these 12 signs. And if you just wanted to work on understanding, breaking down and memorizing, it helps to be able to break them down into categories. Uh, so you could, hey, I'm going to spend some time reflecting on the fire signs or on the, I don't know, salt signs or whatever. So that that's one aspect, but it can also help you to suss out certain details about fire and about sulfur and about mercury and about water. And you can, because you can now experiment around with when fire is in its active form, what is it like? When water is in its mercurial form, what is it like? And that'll also help you to see the signs everywhere because it's easy to go out into the world and break something down into its four elements. You go, okay, well, you know, that thing is definitely an earth element thing. What kind of earth element thing is it? Is it a salt or mercurial earth element thing? Yeah, it's kind of mercurial, I guess. Oh, it's a mercurial earth element thing. I see it now. You know, I see that that is Virgo. I can understand Virgo in the universe around me. So I think that breaking it down in this way really helps to be able to identify it as a workable symbol. The other thing that I think is really interesting is if you're one of those people that's using things like LBRP, uh, which is Lesser Vanishing Ritual, the pentagram, uh, Lesser Vanishing Ritual, the hexagram, maybe in their invoking forms, you know, if you're using ceremonial magic, the ceremonial magic is often broken into systems of four. And so while it's easy to take something like a, an element or the balance of those elements and make that happen in that system, it can be a lot harder to find a way to do just a plug and play, not have to write your own ritual if you're trying to invoke or banish the mercurial or sulfuric or salt energies in your life, right? Uh, but you can, if you use these signs, like, because there's four of them for each one of those things. And so you could do your four quadrants. You could say, well, yeah, I want to, uh, I want to, Let's say I want to invoke more, maybe I'm not flexible enough. I want to invoke more mercurial forces into my life. Mercurial in the alchemical sense, not mercurial in the planetary sense. Um, so what I could do is go through my lesser vanishing ritual, the pentagram, and then instead of invoking one sign, you know, mercury at each quarter, I could do you know, Gemini at one and Virgo at one and Sagittarius at one and Pisces at one. And then I would have the four 
and they're all unique, but they are joined by one concept, right? They're joined by that mutable nature. So I have all four elements represented, but I have all of them represented in their mercurial sense. Same thing with like sulfuric. Let's say you're working with sulfuric energies or you're working with salt energies. You could have more salt in that equation, but you know, you could have Taurus as the earth sign and Leo as the fire sign and Scorpio as the uh, water sign and Aquarius as the air sign and be able to work with those energies in that way in order to get to the, you know, the ultimate goal of invoking that fixed energy or banishing or whatever you wanted to do. So I think that's really valuable because it allows you to plug and play with things that are very potent, very profound and work very well uh, without much adaptation. Now, don't get me wrong. You could totally write your own rituals and I think it's a fantastic thing to do and it's uh, very positive, but it allows you, if, if you're getting something out of it, you know, if LBRP is working for you, this is a way to adapt LBRP to work for you for that system of three, if that makes sense. Um, but I would say most of what that system enables you to do is to, to dissect these symbols into more workable systems, to be able to comprehend them to a deeper level. So hopefully that is a good breakdown of the Zodiac. Remember these, when we're talking about these, we're talking about them in a lot of the same way that we would talk about the elements. So you can use them in all the same ways that you'd use the elements, all the same ways that you'd use alchemical, all the same ways that you'd use planetary. It means you could do things like holding that one symbol in your mind in order to have those associations brought in. You could do meditations. You could do entire rituals written around them. You could do all sorts of stuff. And a fantastic example of the Zodiac being used in one of those types of senses is um, the uh, Rites of Ulysses. There, there are individual characters in the Rites of Ulysses that have zodiacal associations. So if you wanted to look at somebody else's work that has some of that kind of stuff going on, that would be, that would be a great example. Now, each one of these uh, is ruled by a planet. Um, so each one of like Aries is ruled by Mars, um, even though it has its own fire elemental and or its elemental and its um, alchemical associations. There are also planetary rulers that empower that thing. We're going to talk a lot more about that in the astrology side of things because that's more of an astrological concept than just the symbols that are the zodiac. Because when you're talking about that, you're talking about like this planet is within this house or within this constellation. And so it's empowering and like acting like a battery, like supercharging this sign because it's in the correct one. That's where it gets used a lot. So there are still planetary associations that can get plugged into this. It's not as elegant. It's not as straightforward. It's much more like, hey, you know, that's technically kind of a, you know, if out of all the planets, which of them? most definitely fits here yeah i guess i guess this one's closest whereas the fire and uh or i'm sorry the elemental and the alchemical is like the reason there's 12 of them is because there's four of these and three of those like it is if you take the elements and times them by the alchemical uh setups then you get the 12 signs so um we'll talk more about that other side of it because it relates better to astrology when we do an astrology episode. If you guys have questions, comments, if you want to tell me I'm an idiot, uh, actually, you know, not the idiot. <laughs> no, do it. Um, you guys can reach me if uh, you would like more information even 
Maybe maybe this is an episode where you're like, man, this gave me a whole bunch of questions, and I want to hear you talk more in long form about just Leo or something like that. I don't know. Maybe we could potentially do entire episodes breaking down just one symbol. That is a, a potential. Whatever you want to reach out for. You can reach me at nate at whitewoodpodcast.com. And, uh, you know, drop me a line. Tell me what you think of the show. Hopefully, this is a, of a strong benefit for you. I hope that this uh, episode has really kind of drawn out a deeper meaning than you thought was there. So, good luck. Thanks for listening to the Whitewood Podcast. This show is made possible by our Patreon members. You can find us on Twitter at Whitewood Show and on Facebook at Whitewood Podcast. For links to all our social media and information about our Patreon, visit us at whitewoodpodcast.com.